This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple, a podcast about words and language. Listen to by you, we call you the purple people who have a passion for words and language too, and um, a lot more besides. I'm looking at my co-host via Zoom, but he's very much present. It's Giles Brandreth. Hello. Hello. I'm very present indeed, and I'm in a state of high excitement being with you again, Susie. What sort of a week have you had since we were last together a week ago? I've had an okay week. I mean, I think like everyone, ups and downs. There's sort of days when you just think, okay, what what actually am I going to do today? As I think I mentioned to you, I had a, a scurry of scurry funging where I was madly, in the first week, just madly spring cleaning. Um, I'm feeling really quite joyous about it. That's completely gone out of the window. The cupboards are a complete mess again. I've just lost that urge, I have to say. It's the kind of the equivalent of nesting before you have a baby which is what women notoriously do. So that's kind of gone. I'm still cycling. I do have bits and pieces of work, but no countdown, obviously, at the moment. I'm missing that a lot. But I'm okay. We're all well. And that's the main thing. How about you? You may be missing countdown, but the nation isn't. Have you seen how the countdown viewing figures have soared? (laughs) Yes. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. But how (laughs) wonderful. Congratulations. You are satisfying the nation with your linguistic skills. It's completely brilliant. I've simply lost track of time here. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've no idea. I mean, I know we put this out on a Tuesday. And that's about the only way I know what day of the week it is. Tuesday is podcast Tuesday. Otherwise, I really don't know where I am. And that is a little bit confusing. But I'm coping with that. I'm regressing, I think. I'm, I'm having dreams that take me back to my childhood. And I literally went back a few years, Mm -hmm. one day this week, because I uh, tuned in via YouTube to a daily program that is being put out by my friends Anne Diamond and Nick Owen. Oh, I think I saw you put something on Twitter about this. I first met them in the year that I first appeared on Countdown, right at the beginning of the 1980s, 1982, 83. It was the same time that TVAM became the first commercial breakfast television station in the UK. Hmm. And when the station began, there was literally no audience. Nobody tuned in, or a few tuned in on the first day. They didn't like what they saw. And it was literally registering nil, zero <laughs> in the ratings, zero. Not not sort of point one, zero. And they didn't know what to do, so they got rid of everybody who was presenting it, except for David Frost. And they brought in Nick Owen and Anne Diamond. Then they brought in Roland Rat. Mm-hmm. And as the headline said, oh, yeah, exactly, Rat joined sinking ship. <laughs> uh, and then they brought in me. I joined the team and I sat there with Roland Rat, me wearing my funny jumpers with Anne and Nick. And we had a little get-together. 
done oh. this week. And we talked about the old days. I know you're working incredibly hard because you've got more writing to do. Um, so it's not as though you are twiddling your thumbs. No, but also I'm one of those people, and my wife will tell you it's a sadness, really. I'm defined by my work. Yeah. And I know that oh, a lot of, I know, me too, I think. A lot of people are like that. And they say it's a bad thing. I'm not sure quite why it's supposed to be a bad thing. But anyway, I'm defined by my work. If I, if I don't feel I'm working, I feel I have no value. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very lucky because I do a variety of things. And one of the things I do is I write books. So I'm writing another book. My wife said to me, oh, Giles, another book. Does the world really need another <laughs> book by you? Well, but we you both do. know the, we don't, we know the answer to that. Nonetheless, I am writing the book and I'm a disciplined writer. I do a thousand words a day. The evening won't begin until I've done that thousand words. Yeah. So my routine is I wake up early, we get up and we go for our walk. One thing that you, I know, have commented upon and a lot of uh, friends have commented upon too is now that things are quieter, even if they're ramping up a little bit, you can hear the birds. And that's what we want to talk about today. Bird song. And we're also going to be involving, I hope, our listeners, because I had a lovely email. We had a lovely email from William Young from Arlington, Virginia. Um, William says, in your most recent show, you mentioned Captain Hook. I was in Paris in 2018 and saw a poster for a play about him, Picture Attached. It's a wonderful poster. The French translation of Captain Hook is Capitaine Crochet. Isn't that lovely? Which, <laughs> yes. of course, doesn't sound at all menacing. Crochet being the French word for hook. It is. Is it? Yes, which is why when we crochet, we're constantly using the needles to i don't crochet myself but wrong terminology probably but yes that's what we're doing is we're hooking the material and william goes on to say and this is the point that he is mm -hmm. teaching online classes about birds and would we consider doing an episode about birds guess what that's the plan isn't it yes that is the plan uh we love birds we're not alone because they've been so important since ancient times when they had such huge significance that um you know the romans wouldn't do anything unless the auspices, which comes from the Latin auspex, meaning bird, uh, were oh. correct. And, and the, you know, the flights of the birds were in the right direction at the right time. And they would do all their divination and the fortune, uh, not fortune telling, but future telling through that. And another word was augur uh, for the people who actually did this divination and um, telling of the future. And so an inauguration was done when the birds were favourable, if that makes sense. So auger, meaning it augurs well, it bodes well, yes. the future looks good. Yes. Auger, that word, A-U-G-U-R, has a connection with birds. Explain it, that connection. It does. In ancient Rome, an auger was an official who observed the behaviour of the birds and he would interpret them as an indication of divine approval or disapproval of a particular action. So an inauguration was done when the birds, as they say, were favourable. And it all depended on it depended upon flight patterns, which birds it was. You know, some birds were auspicious and some weren't. And as I say, auspicious too has a link with the auspicium, which was taking omens from birds. Um, that comes from avis bird and then speccerate to look. So those Goodness. two words are hidden there. And that's how important birds were in ancient well, times. Can I say, I think there's something very auspicious about the return of the birds. On my yeah. morning walk, the bird song is brilliant. And I think the birds are telling us they prefer a world with fewer motor cars and fewer aeroplanes flying overhead. They are liking lockdown. I saw a robin this week. Ah, oh, the robin. Yeah, the robins are gorgeous. And on both sides of the Atlantic, robins are thought of as our friends, aren't they? 
So Robin is simply a diminutive of the Norman name Robert. Quite often we do give personal names to birds. I think I've mentioned before that the magpie comes from uh, Margaret. The pie is related to the pie that we eat because the magpie collects all sorts of little assorted objects, just as a pie contains lots of different ingredients. It goes back to the Latin pica. But it was Margaret of the magpie. That was its, its personal name. So the robin, the tameness around people was always interpreted as reciprocal affection from the robin. And their red breasts were said to go back to the time when the robin gallantly plucked at Christ's crown of thorns. And oh. it was from the blood of Christ. So that's the robin red breast. Wonderful. Mm. I saw a parrot this week. Did you? We, we, we have lots of parrots and parakeets in West London. Oh, which where have I escaped. Live. Okay. Which, well, my father claimed to be the author of all this. I remember. Yes. Do you remember my my my, my mother's parrot called Mitu, yes. which I think may be a Hindu term of affection for a parrot. Anyway, my father couldn't stand it. Left the window open in the flat one night. The parrot flew away, and he claimed that all the subsequent parakeets in London were as a result of Mitu escaping. <laughs> and we had but, some emails about that, didn't we? Well, yeah. it's funny you mentioned parrot after Robin because that goes back to another common name. This time from the French Pierre, and that was often used for a priest. It's said that the birds were popular props, if you like, um, rather sad for them, for the birds, but props of clowns. And then they were used to make fun of the church. Oh, um, explain that again. Props? Props, did you say? Parrot comes from Pierre. That was often used as a nickname for a priest. And that may go back to the fact that parrots were used by clowns to make fun of the church, you know, just to sort of jabber away and possibly oh. repeat insults towards priests. Talking parrot um, fashion, as it were. Yes. Um, and a popinjay actually goes back to the Arabic for parrot. So a popinjay is somebody who loves gaudy dress and, you know. Now, that kind of I thing. thought, and maybe our listeners can advise us on this, I thought that the French calling the priest Pierre mm -hmm. was to do with Pierre meaning stone, meaning also the name of Peter. Yeah. Peter being the founder of the first bishop yes. of Rome, Saint Peter, all connected with that. Yeah, you but might well be right. That might well be where the nickname comes from. Little known fact about parrots is that one of the 64 practices apparently required in the Karma Sutra was teaching a parrot to talk. <laughs> there That's we are. Cool that is a cool one. The early I kind of three... it was. I don't know off by heart. An early kind of yeah. threesome, you know. <laughs> the, you're up to it with your partner, and the parrot is giving a running commentary, <laughs> falling about laughing. Pretty Polly, pretty Polly. Um, uh, owl. I, I didn't I see an owls. owl this week, but I, I love my son's joke. I think I've told you this before. He's written this story about a pedantic owl mm. who only ever says, to wit, to whom? To wit, to whom? <laughs> what is Very the good. origin good of owl? Good way of remembering it. We think it comes from an old English word, ule, uh, which describes their howl. Obviously, I didn't, didn't do that with much. Ule, I guess. Or from ulula or alula in Latin. And of course, that gave us the brilliant word allulate or ululate, which is to howl and lament. And actually, an owl's cry is uh, has long been thought to be kind of prophetic of doom because owls were associated with evil, maybe because they eat snakes and frogs and rats, um, as in Macbeth. So that was one, one version of the owls. But in ancient Greece, they were thought of as being lucky. So you can take your pick. I think they're beautiful. The bird that's supposed to be very unlucky is the albatross. Yeah, 
That's from The Ancient Mariner, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, obviously. Famous poem by Coleridge. Coleridge. Samuel Taylor Coleridge, yes. Well, the albatross, actually, it's lovely because ultimately it goes back to an Arabic word. I don't speak Arabic, so apologies to Arabic speakers. I think it's al-kudus. I'm sure the purple people will put me right. But that meant bucket because it was applied to lots of seabirds that hold water in their bills, like little buckets. And in Spanish, this is the bit that I love, that became Alcatraz, um, which originally denoted lots of different pelicans. And and obviously that's because of the pouch under its bill and it's used to hold fish, but also, according to legend, used for drawing up water to carry to its young. Anyway, the island in San Francisco Bay, Alcatraz, famous for its prison, was home to hundreds of these birds and that's where it got its name. What about vultures hovering overhead? Vulture... I suspect. I don't know this. I'm going to look this up. It sounds German to me. What do you reckon? Oh, I would have thought more Latin. You're absolutely right. From the Anglo-Norman-French vulture, which eventually, ultimately went back to the Latin. don't know what it meant in, for the Romans, apart from the bird. But it's unlucky because they're hovering over you and you're feeling terrified. Yes. They have a hard rap, don't they? Yes. What um, are some other interesting ones? What are the ones you like? Well, my favourite bird of all is the kingfisher beyond a doubt. Um, And they're just so beautiful. And I always thought they were called kingfishers either because they caught fish so brilliantly or more probably because of that shimmering plumage, which is just so beautiful. And it could be like the precious metals that you might find worn by kings. But ultimately, they were called halcyons, my all-time favourite word if I had to choose one. And I've talked about halcyon days before. The halcyon was another name for the kingfisher and it was said that the kingfisher would lay its eggs upon the sea in a floating nest and the god of the winds would calm the seas until the eggs were hatched. So those were the halcyon serene days of the past. I love that. I know you like a name drop. (laughs) I'll throw one in at this stage. Neil Armstrong, the man, the first man to step on the moon, he said to me when he went to visit uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum in Dubai, that he was kept waiting. And he said, where is the Sheikh? And he was told, the Sheikh has gone to shoot the bastard. He said, what? Shoot? Them? God, is this the sort of country I've arrived in where they shoot people? And what was meant was the, the Sheikh bastard. had gone to shoot the bastard. Oh. Because the tradition is that the leader of the country is the person who is allowed when the, the bastard shooting season begins has to claim the first bastard. Is bastard any connection with bastard? <laughs> bastard is a kind of bird, isn't it? The bustard is a kind of bird and it might come from the Latin avis tarda, meaning slow bird, which is a bit odd as the bustards are fast runners. And I only discovered last year, having enjoyed this cartoon for ages, that there is an actual road runner. Did you know this? It's a fast-running bird of the cuckoo family. Mm. I thought it, it was runs, just a cartoon I, I remember there's a cartoon. It runs along the road, doesn't it? R- with yeah. the dust yeah. spreading all around it. I didn't know they actually existed. You brought in the cuckoo family. Cuckoo. Yeah. That must be onomatopoeic. Cuckoo. It is. Cuckoo. It absolutely is. Cuckoo. Um, <laughs> um, cuckoo. Of course, it gave us cuckold as well. Remind us what a cuckold is. Okay, so a cuckold is the husband of an unfaithful wife. And... It was said that the cuckoo song, I think Shakespeare wrote this, mocked married men. And of course, to be cuckoo also meant to be crazy, which is a bit odd. Not quite sure where that comes from, but probably the connection is from its kind of slightly giddy voice during spring. But we're not quite sure why. Maybe it just sounds cuckoo sounds. I love this. Again, on Matapik. 
cuckoo. Yeah. And the hummingbird is so-called because of the hum it makes, I assume. Yes. So to one early naturalist, um, the flight sounded like a what they called a humblebee. Humblebee being an old word for a bumblebee, as was Dumbledore. And J.K. Rowling absolutely knew that because she knows her OED very well, the Oxford English Dictionary. So, um, yeah, it sounded like a, a bumblebee. And so they called it a humbird. But there's a lovely legend attached to hummingbirds, which was that for the ancient Greeks, that they would hop inside a crocodile's mouth to eat leeches. And it was thought the crocodile likes this, so it never, ever hurt the bird. I mean, it's not true because they're new world birds. So you'll never find them in and out of crocodiles' jaws. But that was the legend, which is quite beautiful. Uh, One more. Can I ask you one more before we take our break? Wren. Jenny Wren. Jenny Wren. Um, The Wren is beautiful. I mean, Jenny Wren was believed to be the kind of rather demure wife of Robin Redbreast. Again, very unusual scientific name of Troglodytes Troglodytes, meaning cave dweller in Greek. And that's because wrens dive into their nest holes, which, you know, once used to be in hollow trees. It probably still is, but it it was in any hollow they could find, including coat pockets quite often um, if they're left hanging around. So Troglodytes Troglodytes is the wren cave dweller. Before we creep into our cave for our little break, Mm -hmm. I've got a poem that's been sent to us. You know, I've been doing these 20-second poems to help people wash their hands by. Oh, yes, like this. And uh, Timothy McEntee has written his own. It's inspired by the birds outside his window during lockdown. And he sent this to us from somewhere near Chicago in Illinois. Wow. So it's wonderful for us to feel we've got this global I feel like we're armchair travellers at the moment. I love this. It's wonderful. And his poem goes like this. For the birds, they know no difference. For them, their life goes on. Exempt from isolation, they sing their cheerful song. No quarantine, no closures, nor worry or despair can take away their freedoms, still free to roam the air. I listen and admire them with envy in my heart. Their song, so sweet, it calms the soul until the day shall part. Beautiful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. 
Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... <laughs> uh, uh, this is brilliant. Yeah, by finding out when he discovers Amazing. that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. <laughs> Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcast apps. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple. And Giles and I are talking about birds, the beauty of birds, their sort of lyricism, I guess, within language, the origin of bird names, and also one thing I'd love to talk about, Giles, is the kind of unexpected birds that hide behind some of the words uh, that we use in English. Give me an example. Well, pedigree is a, a bit of a favourite because that actually involves the crane. Um, oh. The crane has given us lots of the, the bird, has given us lots of words and expressions in English. So when we crane our neck, we're looking like the bird. The crane that you will find on building sites has an incredibly long neck. So that looks back to the bird as well. But pedigree is a word that has the crane behind it because in medieval manuscripts, a scripts, a mark consisting of three curved lines was used to indicate family descent on a family tree. These days, they're sort of a bit more straight, aren't they? But you still get those little sort of divisions on a family tree. But in those days, there were curved lines and people saw a resemblance between this mark and the claw or the track of a crane, and they would call them crane's feet. And in the French spoken by the descendants of the Norman settlers after 1066, called them pied de grue, which comes from pied de grue, crane's foot. And say that quickly enough and then try and sandwich it into English in a way that sounds vaguely English. Pied de grue became pedigree. And it goes back to the name Cranesfoot, Cranesfoot. And that dates back to the days when pilgrims would go to Canterbury on the road. And I know, but I can't remember what it is, that pilgrim is a word with a bird connection, isn't it? Absolutely right. Yes. So that is linked to the peregrine falcon, because in Latin, peregrinus meant a foreigner or a wanderer. Per was through and the agra bit also goes agriculture, etc. So it meant land. Both of those words, pilgrim and peregrine, come back to the peregrinus or peregrinus in Latin. And the peregrine falcon was so named because it travels thousands and thousands of miles every year. Gosh, give me some more. Um, do you ever, I've never played this, but my mum likes this game, Mahjong. Do you ever play yes, that? Yes, I have tried. Is it impossible? Actually, lockdown would be a perfect time to master mahjong. Yeah. Because it really does. You need to, to get into the vocabulary and the way it works. Okay. But, well, she loves it. She's loved it for, yeah. for years and years and years. But in Chinese, mahjong or something very close to it means sparrow because a sparrow or what they call a mythical bird of a hundred intelligences appears on one of the tiles. Mm. Um, so sparrow's behind that. I like the fact that jargon once meant, again, in the sort of English that came in after the Normans, so they spoke in this sort of hybrid tongue called Anglo-Norman, jargon meant the twittering of birds, the chattering of birds. And it came to me in our modern jargon because, you know, birds understand each other perfectly. It's just the rest of us who haven't a clue what they're talking about. Gosh. And how long ago is that jargon? So that would have been 13th century, probably. So quite soon after the Norman conquerors arrived. I do um, remember you telling me once when I referred to myself as an old codger. Yeah. You said, oh, well, that's, actually, that's got quite a distinguished etymology. 
Yes, you would have been the helper of the falconer. So you would have been the person carrying the cadge and they were carrying the falcon or the hawk in a falconry. And actually that aristocratic pursuit, and it wasn't mostly the French aristocrats who um, were engaged in falconry, whereas famously the English speakers were the ones who kind of did all the menial tasks. But falconry gave us haggard because a haggard was an adult bird that was caught in the wild. And these birds were kind of more difficult to tame, more likely to go astray. But also they look a bit dishevelled because we think it goes back to the old English for a hedge. So it looks literally looks as if they've been dragged through a hedge backwards. And a muse as well. So if you're lucky enough to live in a muse in a city, a muse was once the name for a malting house. It goes back to the French mouet, meaning to malt. And the royal falcons would have been kept in the royal muse. So that's another falconry term. So lots and lots. A lure, as in a trap, was once a trap for hawks and falcons. So lots and lots in there. And the cockpit of an aeroplane is something mm. to do with the cockpit where fighting cocks were yeah. put to... Is that horrible right? Horrible sport. Horrible, horrible. I mean, hesitate yeah. to use the word sport. But yes, um, so it was the arena. Not quite sure why it came to be the cockpit that we now associate with planes, etc. Probably because things, yeah, it was quite small, so it's quite kind of squashed and contained, but also perhaps fighter aircraft, wartime aircraft, you know, you were sort of fighting to the death. So not completely sure, but definitely does go back to that original horrible sport. And what about pipes? That rings a bell of some... Yeah, that's a good one. Well, pipe is onomatopoeic, I guess, because it's from the Latin oh. pipare, which meant to chirp of birds. Pipare. pipare. And pipa was a musical pipe, possibly because of their sound, but also because pipes were often used to imitate bird calls for trapping purposes. So that's possibly the link there. And then, of course, the shape of these pipes gave us the the pipes that we use for water and plumbing, etc. today. Well, you know, I've been piping this week. I've been allulating. I've been singing. <laughs> Another of my name drops coming up. Okay. I, the treats, my treats of the week have included singing with, um, though in my case it was not very musical, Alfie Bow mm. and Vera Lynn. Wow. Can you imagine? Vera Lynn now a centenarian. The reason I was asked to take part is that my theatre show has been postponed. So they got in touch with lots of people whose shows have been postponed and said, uh, Vera Lynn wants to do something for theatres that are closing. Oh, nice. Uh, are closed. And she'd like to introduce a new version of We'll Meet Again. Oh. So she begins it and she ends it on song. Vera Lynn, over 100. And then... Great musical theatre stars led by Alfie Bow sing, and I, I crop up in it as well. So that's been an excitement for we this week. Were you the kind of Captain Tom Moore to Michael Ball? Is that Thank what you, you were doing? Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, honestly, what a man! I'm. So, oh, what a he, yeah. he is a hero. Yes. yes. I mean, Absolutely. we shouldn't use awe too often, but I really was an awe of him. I think not just for what he did, but just the way he spoke and his view of life. I just think it was amazing. But um, you see, so well done, the, Captain Tom. What is marvellous about these older people? I mean, he is now 100 years old. Yeah. Vera Lynn is over 100 years old. I spent some time this week uh, with another mature person, aged 85, Dame Judy Dench. Mm -hmm. She told me, now this is a funny story. She told me a funny story uh, via Zoom. She said, I can't see you. I said, well, press this button. She said, I don't dare. I said, why not? She said, because my daughter, 
her daughter, she has a daughter called Finty, yeah. said, you've got to Zoom these people and have a conversation with them because it's their birthday. So wish them happy birthday. So anyway, Judy Dench wished them happy birthday successfully on her laptop, closed the laptop, thought, oh, that's gone well. Then Trudy Dench went upstairs and thought, well, it's time for my bath. Uh, got ready for her bath. True story, true story. Oh, no. Clambered into the bath, had the laptop on the bath edge, thought, oh, I'll look something up now. She opened the laptop and there was the little green light. Ah! She was, And they were still all sitting there. So she was wishing them happy birthday that in her birthday suit. Fantastic. I love that. Isn't I have hilarious? Say, not only does Trudy Dench look 60. I mean, there's no yeah. way she's 85. But also, she can TikTok now. She can do. Did you do you know about of TikTok? Of course, yeah. I do and know that about was very TikTok. Cool with her grandson. That with was, her grandson, yeah. he was an Ed, Ed Sheeran lookalike. He was, isn't it? Is yes. The point um, is, the, these people are role models to us, aren't they? People yeah. in their 80s and 90s, and indeed their hundreds, who are full of optimism, energy. And keeping going. You know, they've been the real heroes, actually, of this lockdown. And and uh, apart from, obviously, all the wonderful frontline workers and key workers. But in terms of, of kind of suddenly switching from our dismissal, our cultural dismissal of old people, which we tend to do, you know, with press are horrible about people ageing. Suddenly, age and wisdom have really come to the fore. And I love that. That's one of the really positive things to come out of this. Well... Among our heroes are the purple people, the yes. people who get in touch with us. We've got a whole raft of queries. Let's rattle through some of okay. them. One that's quickly come to me that I want to share with you. A lady tweeted me at Giles B one The question this lady had was, take the word what. Why is it pronounced what? When you take the letters H-A-T on their own, they're pronounced hat. Put a W in front of it and suddenly it becomes what? That's a really good question. Most of our what we call interrogative pronouns or interrogative words in English, the, the sort of questioning why, what, who, etc., which do start with a W. And in Old English, they had an H in front of them, which would have been aspirated, it would have been um, pronounced. So it would have been what. And that's why I think the pronunciation has changed, but we've still got the legacy of the Anglo-Saxons there. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. That is the answer we needed. Oh, you remember you were talking about your fear of fingers going wrinkly in the bath, prune-like. Yes, pruny digitophobia was the only thing I could come up with. Well, Kevin Faulkner tried to find a a Greek cognate to Latin-based macerate, meaning soften in liquid, and came up with dialuphobia. Oh, okay. Freddie Raymond emailed to say, I came across the word quabbled, Q-U-O-B-L-E-D. yes. That's an old yep. dialect word. And they, they talk about old women, in not particularly complimentary terms, with quabbled fingers from the wash tub. Um, uh, so, yes, quabble. That's a really good one. I'd forgotten that. So, so thank you for that. Fred, Freddie Raymond is suggesting we call this aversion quabblophobia. <laughs> That's quite good. With the <laughs> almost good. disgusting feel these syllables make in the mouth, one can imagine Rowan Atkinson doing great things with this. Yes, so, that's brilliant. Just discovered this delightful podcast, writes Joe Daly from Coleraine in Northern Ireland. Thank you, Joe. I was taken by the phrase, Charlie's dead, to cover petticoat showing. When I was younger, if someone's trousers were too short, one would say, his cat or cats has or have died. Died. Yeah. Oh, I haven't heard that before. They're really odd. And I think the only explanation I can think of, and I won't be alone in this, is that if your petticoat or your 
knickers or whatever are, are sort of a bit lower than they should be. Perhaps the idea or your trousers is that you're flying at half mast. And so you the flag is at half mast when someone's died and all sorts of people came into the equation, whether it was your cat or Charlie or whatever. That's the only thing I can think of. That's a good thing to think of. I want your trio, the three words with which to increase our vocabularies. Okay, well, I'm staying with birds for the first one. And it just tickled me, really. And we all need to laugh at the moment, obviously. And it's what the Americans um, sometimes call, and if they still call them this, but bitterns, you know, the bitterns with their booming, booming mm. voice. Now, they move back and forth when sounding this boom, and they use apparently their whole bodies to choke up this cry. And one name for them is thunder pumpers. But in America, apparently, sometimes they're called belcher squelchers which I just love the sound of. A belt, say it again? Belcher, squelcher. A belcher, squelcher, lovely. Yes, that's great. I love that one. I did an article for the I newspaper last week on the world's most beautiful words, and I had such lovely responses from people that really gladdened my heart, I have to say. They were just lovely, and there are so many beautiful words. But this was one that was sent, um, and it comes from Japanese, so you can imagine what's about to come out of my mouth. It is not going to be Japanese, but I'll give it a go. It's like kuti sabishi. It's when you're not hungry, but your mouth is lonely. In other words, you just come for eating. And the last one is something that I have been doing quite a lot of. I suspect most of the nation have been doing this at some point. Forgive me if I've mentioned this before, but I love it. It's an old dialect word, cruising. And cruising with a Z is nestling under the covers. Well, those are three very good, rather apt words. Uh, I normally give you a quotation, but you said there we need a laugh. And I'm pleased to say one has been supplied by one of my grandchildren. They are quite young. Great. And this is, this is the joke. Well, this is it. I think it's quite funny. An onion just told me a joke. I didn't know whether to laugh or cry. <laughs> boom, boom. I like that. That's our, that's our lot, Susie. That is our lot. Please don't forget to give us a nice review or recommend us to a friend. It means a lot to us genuinely, and as do your emails. We read all of them, even if we don't have time to answer all of them. But if you have a question you'd like us to answer or just like to get in touch, you can email us at purple at something else.com. And as we always say, there's no G in something here. So it's purple at something else.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Steve Ackerman, Grace Laker and the Belcher Squelcher himself. It's Gully! Gully.